Hey everyone, this is David here with the Magical Stories of Healing and Spiritual Gifts podcast. Very excited to talk to you today. I'm here with my always amazing wife, Megan. Hello everyone. And we have an awesome guest today. Uh, We're both really, really excited about this guest. Uh, Miss Lily Huffman, are you there with us today? I am. Awesome. She's in... Hey, everyone. Hey. Hey, Lily. (laughs) She is an intuitive guide and Reiki master. And since we've kicked off Magical, man, it was like right at the beginning when we first kicked everything off after our ayahuasca experience, she's been there. Like, it was kind of like divine and uh, very interestingly synchronistic how like right off the bat, how we connected off of Facebook, actually. Yeah. And then... Awesome. Uh, you are too. And then <clears throat> we'll touch on this later, but like the fact how you were actually able to help me um, find a way to really nix my insomnia. So like that's amazing. So I can't wait to talk about that later. Yeah, it was. It, uh, go ahead. It was an incredible experience for me to do that session with you too. I mean, you're so on fire in the healing way, like on every level. So it was wonderful working with you i can't wait to talk about it too yeah yeah i love it for sure we um it's crazy because you run into people and you meet people and uh the further i personally i know megan i think you two when we go down this spiritual path it's like everything happens for a reason and already already from just like meeting you and then like i said we'll get to it a little later but you legitimately like helped us it was really cool you helped solve such a big issue that megan's been dealing with it's so crazy. I can't wait to talk about that later. I mean, you're just a testament. Well, the, universe, the universe did the work. Yes, yes, you know, yes. I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But you were an amazing facilitator, you know, so I appreciate Thank it. You. Uh, but, like, Thank we you. first really wanted to highlight, really start with you, is, you know, your childhood and and young adulthood. Because, you know, from my understanding, you have been raised in, like, a very religious upbringing, Right. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now, is it was it so. Mormon? Yes, I was raised in the LDS Church. My mother was a convert when I was um, like five. We had I talked about this a little bit earlier on my page, but we had a tornado that destroyed our house, and she'd been taking the discussions, and she thought that that was like her sign that she was supposed to join. And she joined, and she went all in, and she married my stepfather, and from there it was kind of history. It was strange because uh, I, my parents were divorced, and she was very, very Mormon, and my, my dad's side of the family was Catholic. Mm. So I had both. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> Can't get much more strict I mean, than Mormon and Catholic. That's, that's impressive. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, I am grateful for a lot of the values I learned. Absolutely. Up that way. Yeah, no, I'm I feel really the same way. That, yeah, exactly. You know, I'm grateful that um, as I grew up, I started to question things because it wasn't the right path for me. Right. Um, at all. <laughs> but there are many reasons for that. <laughs> but yeah. Nice. Yeah, and that's um, that's kind of brings us to our next question was. Uh, and it's, it's interesting. People tend to, you were conditioned one way growing up, but then you kind of find your own path. What was it that really started to open your eyes up to the spiritual world? Like right. what was it? How'd that, how'd that 
path go? Well, and like, how did you know that you had this gift? Like, what was that like? I am dying to know that. Okay. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, the funny thing about all of it is that I remember having this gift as a child. Wow. And, um, yeah, I mean, I was the kid who um, hung out with 86-year-olds and actually <laughs> ended up sing- singing at their wife's funerals because they were like my friends. I didn't Aww. hang out with the other kids. I didn't. If I was hanging out with another kid, it was because their mother had just died and they were sitting on the edge of the playground by themselves. Or, you know, I taught English to children who weren't speaking English. Things like that. I was a weirdo. So, um, <laughs> you know, I tried to fit in. Um, I also learned music at a very young age, and so I was performing a lot. Um, I found a lot of spirituality through music. And I remember laying there in my room when I was like, oh gosh, seven years old and looking up and putting my hands up and, and looking at it, thinking there's so much more to this than just my body and trying to see into it and then laying there and thinking about the universe <laughs> and going farther and farther and farther and farther out in my brain <laughs> and exploring this and like just going, whoa, whoa, it never ends and then crying because I felt the limitless of it all. Wow. So, you know, I was always kind of a, an odd one. <laughs> <laughs> That's odd. And how old were you then? Probably about seven. <laughs> I'd say not too many seven-year-olds there uh, com- contemplating the entire universe in their bed. <laughs> yeah, it was really. Um, it was all you know. It's all I know. So I don't know how how it would be to be different. But um, as I grew up, it became more of a lonely way of feeling and thinking. Aww. <laughs> now, when did you first realize you had a gift? And tell us about that, because that is just so intriguing to me. Well, like I said, it was always kind of intrinsic, but when I started really realizing it, it was around the time, I mean, I, okay, I had this gift, and I would share things that I was feeling or picking up on about people, and unfortunately, I also came from um, a very abusive household, Mm. so my mother would tell me, you're wrong, you're lying. Um, you don't have the gift of discernment. You don't have this gift because you're not a male. You don't have the priestess. It's impossible. And um. so I went through, yeah, I went through a great, big, huge phase. Of so then you probably felt like it was a curse. Um, it didn't really feel like a curse. I just felt like I learned, I learned how to doubt myself. Like, yeah. massively. Yeah. And, oh. um, and struggled with a lot of suicidal ideation, a lot of like feeling like I I was wrong all the time, and then being deeply insecure because I had to seek out validation from everybody around me because I was having all these feelings and thoughts. Well, yeah, and if your mother tells you that it's not real, that you don't have that gift, I mean, wow. That... Yeah. Well, and also, I mean having her not only say that but then saying I could never have it because I'm not a male and the only way that I would have direct access to Heavenly Father was having the priesthood you know and so I knew 
in my heart that that didn't feel right. Um, right. But I was deeply insecure. And so I internalized that a lot and that along with um, quite a lot of abuse that was going on in my home emotionally, physically, and otherwise. It was a pretty bad cocktail of pain. Yeah. <laughs> so, however, you know, I, I did find um, when, I be, when I grew up and went through a lot, uh, I was still in the LDS church when I was like 22. Um, I had my first child at 22. And then I had my second at 24 and I was divorced and um, went through this big thing of understanding some things were really messed up about the church. And in that time, my second son almost died. He was life flighted. He had a, a seizure. Ooh. And wow. a lady from church, believe it or not, <laughs> a lady from church who was a leader at church for the ladies group um, called the Relief Society. She told me that she recognized that I had healing ability Ooh. and that I should go and be attuned to Reiki. And this is after Gabriel had his seizure. He came home from the hospital. She goes, I'll pay for your first attunement. Go. And I didn't even know what the heck was going on. I was kind of scared, actually, because yeah. it looked really evil to me. Yeah. And I went. Yeah. And I went and um, I had this beautiful experience and this, like, um, I had suppressed some of the intuition, I think, to just, just arrive. And yeah. um, and then all of a sudden, everything was, like, wide open. And I'd be walking through the grocery store and start thinking these things and feeling them. And if I got too close to someone, I was like, well, I know these things. So I started to talk to strangers and um, say, hey, you know, I don't know if this is going to sound weird to you, but I'm having these. Like, I feel like I have some sort of a message. <laughs> and that sounds wow. crazy. Um, but it was always something that they would either thank me for, cry, and then thank me for. <laughs> or, you know, we would connect. It was never a bad experience. And That's so, amazing. you know, yeah, that was a big part of that. Kind <laughs> so of is it just... How do you get these messages, though? Like, like, are you getting, like, visions? Or is it just a, a feeling? Is it, like, you hear something? Like, like what, how, what is your, exactly your spiritual gifts? What are Um. So, the best way that I can... I mean, you know, you, you've heard about all the Claire... Right. Claire audience, Claire Sundance. I have most of those, I would say. Um, the biggest thing for me is just Claire sentience I mean it just downloads and I say a prayer before I talk to someone now within a setting of a session and I ask our angels and guides and ascended masters and all beings that are from the light to communicate and to just help me to know what it is that I can say or do and I ask them to get me out of the way get my ego out of the way get any judgment I might have just move me to the side Wow. And help me to help the person, and um, I do that every time before a session, and and I love it. It works. It's, it's like it, I always, whenever I'm done with the session, I sit there and go, "Whoa, what just happened? That was amazing." It's like I'm there, of course. Right. <laughs> but you know, it's it's beautiful. I love how the universe works. Yeah, and, no, it's um, amazing. You know, and yeah, I guess I will. Beautiful 
touch a little bit on on my experience with you since we know we're speaking about that. Um, yeah. and, you know, it, it's funny because I too, you know, was raised up in a religious, you know, upbringing, and so a lot of heavy conditioning there. And my family's yeah. amazing. It's just, you know, it, I had so much fear. Like I thought if I talked to a psychic, I was going to get possessed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. I had, you know, met, you know, uh, Ricardo. I don't know if anyone um, listening has already listened to his podcast, but he came on and he was the first time I, first experience I ever had with a med- with a psychic medium. And oh my gosh, it, it literally changed my life. It was amazing. Yeah. Now, I do think you have to be careful, you know, like oh, it's yeah. all about using 100%. discernment. But man, it was well, so, yeah, go ahead. There are a lot of people out there that will prey on people's vulnerability. Yeah. And that is very prevalent in the so-called healing arts world. Mm. And for me, I don't believe in telling someone their future. Yeah. I don't believe in, because free will is absolutely, absolutely the sure. most important thing to me. Yeah. And the ability to like know what you're supposed to be doing yourself you know and make those decisions and because we're vulnerable when we go to someone for counsel mm-hmm. you know we could really influence them to do something if we're not careful and oh yeah I always, and thoughts always, are things. always tell yeah yeah I always tell people how do you feel what does your intuition tell you and I think one of my gifts is also helping people feel their intuition that's amazing mm. um, I like that one. That's amazing. Well, it was weird. I definitely felt nudged to reach out to you because I have two people that I've talked to over the years that have been so amazing, and and I definitely call them friends at this point. And they've helped me in so many areas of my life, which is incredible, and I'm just so thankful for them. But, like, my insomnia was an area that, man, like, no one could tackle, and it's something that's been going on since, golly, like since I was in the third grade, really, and it just got yeah. worse and worse. Yeah, yeah, and her insomnia means mine, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If I'm not sleeping, it's no one's effort. sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and... and Yes, yes, yes. Um, but like you, you, and it's so crazy. It was something so simple. You know, I've done sleep studies. I've done all these things, you know, and nothing's ever worked. And then you asked me, you know, if I knew anything about feng shui, which, I mean, not really, yeah. you know? And, like, yeah. but at this point, I was like, you know, I know anything's possible. Like, a couple of years, like, six years ago, I might have been like, uh, no, that's kooky or whatever. But, right. you know, yeah. the things that you told me to do absolutely worked, you know? And then just protecting my home, you know, saging it every night. Yeah. And, and it's yeah. so crazy how simple things is, like, moving my bed and doing these things shutting my toilet seat these things that you told me to do and all of a sudden and you know I, I before I couldn't get more than three hours of sleep and now I'm like sleeping like eight more than eight hours you know it's crazy that makes me so happy you're it, catching up yay it's, yes. it really is amazing we actually have a whole ritual now every night yeah. like and I oh, it, it I don't care it takes because it joins go ahead it joins you guys even more too you know that's yeah. how yeah. you Couple, yeah, yeah. We go around. We literally, happy. yep. We sage the whole house all the way around. We pro- say protection yeah. prayers. We yeah. make sure everything's set. I mean, it's we a whole have, thing. Like the altar set up. Altar and then we set did the up. Way, you know, and it's so awesome because the things that you know, I thought there was no other place for my bed in our room, 
And I'm like, that's going to be weird. And it actually looks way better. So I'm like, yeah, I got a better, a cuter room and I'm sleeping. So, <laughs> yeah. So it's thank a, you. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you. And, and, and you were so comfortable to talk to, you know, and I just felt like very comfort. I knew, you know, your background. I knew, you know, that you are what I consider a metaphysical Christian, you know, and that brought so much comfort to me. And so... I, I just want to, I bring yeah. that up because if there is anyone listening that, you know, has been conditioned to believe that it's wrong, you know, maybe this is, you know, something that can like open their mind a little bit because I used to be that person yeah. and man, if hey, I, you know, ugh. go ahead. I, I am still skeptical with people. I mean, I feel like it's really important to follow your intuition when you're going to someone for spiritual insight or healing on any level and you know I don't even like calling myself a healer because I don't I'm I'm an instrument in the universe's yeah. hands I don't I don't feel like you know for me it's a humble it's a humbling 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 process and I've taken a lot of time in my life to be like literally drop to my knees in pain and grief and all sorts of things be able to open me wide enough to get out of my own way and wow. let the universe work through me. And so I am so grateful That's for beautiful. every single moment. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's, I am blown away by it every day. Wow. And, that's, um, yeah. That's amazing. I don't take it lightly. Yeah, that's no, that's that's a amazing. that's a great point. I just two quick things there, and then I'll, this kind of ties into the next thing I was going to talk to you about. First off, yeah. I love that you said you're an instrument because one of the things that we want to make really clear, especially in the community we're trying to build, is that we're vessels. Like we're not at all trying to yep. make it seem like we are physically healing it because that's we're not. We're literally vessels. Nope. Like we've we've learned how to become really good vessels is what I feel like. We're still learning, you know, absolutely. still learning every day. It's we're all still learning. We'll always be learning, I yeah. hope, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I really don't believe that we heal anyone. I believe that we teach people how to heal themselves or yes. show them tools exactly. that will assist them in healing themselves, showing them that they, they do have the power, you know, because we've been conditioned oh gosh, to believe exactly. that we don't. Yeah. I always tell my clients, you know, if you, if someone is professing to heal you or asking you, you know, I don't even know. It's like, um, okay. Like with money, that's not a tough thing for me. I think money is important because it's an energetic exchange and it shows yes. A commitment yes. and in our culture money is the way that that is you know most obvious if we lived in a time where we could you know trade us I don't know some avocados or something for a session heck yeah you know and I would do that with <laughs> someone if that's what they had that's I amazing have many trades you know yeah but, but it's also a matter of like listening to your heart and if something doesn't feel right don't do it. Right. And, um, exactly. I was going somewhere with this and I don't even remember what it was. <laughs> Girl, I do that all the someone, time. That's 80% yeah, of Megan's conversation. So. Yes, all the time. If someone's professing to heal you or making you feel like you are like, oh gosh, I'm this one group on Facebook. People, There's these people that say, I'll give you a free reading and then you... They'll email you and tell you that you're cursed and you need to send them money. And- what? Oh my oh, gosh. Yeah. I've seen that, that on some of the other groups. Yes. I've never seen yeah. that. That's I have. Crazy. I have. Oh my gosh. It happens all the time. Yeah. 
and a lot of people from other my countries. heart because there are some very vulnerable people and number one you know being cursed whatever that's another subject but <laughs> yeah. we are so powerful and I'm here to help empower someone and oh this is my whole point of my whole like going uh, on there, there it is yay <laughs> here it is and, and this is it um, like with me I hope that one session is enough because if that's enough that's awesome right you know and yeah. so that's the thing too it's like it's an amazing experience to have that one little slice of someone's sacred space and be able to hold that with them well yeah like so, what yeah. a fulfilling what a fulfilling job <laughs> you know like what you do that's got to be so fulfilling yeah for sure oh my sure. gosh it's it's so 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 amazing and I always learn something too in the midst of it all and um, I'm so grateful for that because we're all each other's teachers oh yeah um, not not to take a uh, different darker turn but uh, you know one of <laughs> um, you know, one of the things that on a side that really interests us with you you know this podcast is about um, stories of healing and spiritual gifts and you got both which is just phenomenal um, but you know, what, one thing I definitely, we wanted to ask about from what we know, it sounds like you've had a pretty traumatic past. Um, could you take oh, yeah. us through some of that? Um, yeah, I don't want to make it like really, uh, <laughs> for people who are listening. Oh yeah. Like whatever you're you. comfortable with. Totally. Yeah, Girl, my first episode was like that too. So Oof, no, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. If, there's a lot of people that maybe could not have even finished it. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's, it's my story, long, and this is your story. story. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, well, so I mentioned I was raised in a household that was abusive. Um, it was really, really strange because, you know, when I was born, it was my mom and my dad. They were divorced when I was two and all that good stuff. And um, I have a mother who really struggled with some mental illness issues and a lot of darkness mm. um which I believe actually helped me to develop my intuition because honestly I had to to be in her presence and feel like it was very much a coping mechanism as a child because I had to constantly gauge my safety oh. um and that was more so I think when I was around seven um more physical abuse happened later, um, like around seven, eight. But um, she was just very all over the place. She um, was a single mother for a long time, and uh, there was just a lot of behaviors that were really strange. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Was she diagnosed and, with anything? Um, you know, she's been all over the board, and she yeah. also has like done about twenty different. Um, medications for physical ailments as well mm-hmm. um, and you know it's really sad because when I was when I was pretty young she was really fun because she'd have these manic I think she's probably bipolar with yeah. a lot of other elements yeah. gotcha. um, nar- narcissistic as well so um, she would have these really great moments and god we'd have so much fun we'd dance and sing and she was like hanging out with a big sister or something um but then the dark parts that came through were just terrifying, especially as I got a little older. And there would be things like um, 
I don't know, I had never been hit before by an adult. My, my dad and I were really close. And she um, joined the Mormon church, like I said, when we had our tornado. And she decided that um, I was really close to my dad's family as well. And um, very close-knit people. And they were like a huge support for me. And she decided they were bad for me when I was about seven and kidnapped me. And um, she took me from Wisconsin, where I was born, to Seattle. And then she told me for two months before it happened, she had me pray every night that she would find my stepfather, um, you know, whoever that was going to be, that he would come into our lives. And she said, yeah. And she said, we're... I'm going to be taking you to Seattle and don't tell your dad. And so every time he'd come pick me up for visitation, I knew, you know, he'd come every other weekend. I knew that it might be the last time I saw him as much as I could comprehend that as a child. Oh, what a mind screw. Oh, it was so bad. It was so bad because he was everything to me. I've got tears in my eyes talking about him. So, So, yeah, so she... She did it. She stuck my brother, who was my half-brother, um, she stuck us in the car and drove us to Seattle from Wisconsin. And she did a thing where she followed me driving. She took speed and things when I was little. And so she, like, she would be inebriated, or, you know, not inebriated, but otherwise right. altered. And she'd be telling me to hit her her Tornado. That was the beginning of like the really painful 
stuff. I mean, there's okay. so much brain development going on that age. Man. Yep. Yep. You know, it, it's all really interesting how we go through things as children and oh, how we yeah. develop, you know? Mm-hmm. And the pain and all the things we're picking up on and the ways we learn how to survive. So yeah. around that time, she, she met my stepfather and uh, she brought, and she dated a ton of different guys and I mean, there's a lot with all that too. Um, but this, this man came to the door and um, I went to the door and I ran up the stairs and I said, I don't like him. And she goes, oh, don't be a brat. She always tell me a brat. Don't be a brat. And, um, and I felt like, uh, like when he breathed, it just made me feel incredibly uncomfortable. Um, and that was that was just the only way I could put it. And this is hard for me to talk about because I have developed, um, you know, there's a lot of mixed feelings there because I do love him, although that was the doorway to a lot of intense abuse. Oh. Um, so, and that's always hard. And the healing, that's one thing I work with with clients, you know, it's like you can have both feelings for someone. You can have a lot of love for someone even though they destroy you inside and that's okay that's part of the shame and all the things you have to work through when you're healing wow. so um so yeah he they got married um a month and a half after they met i'd only met him like one or two times he had four children from another marriage um that were my automatic step siblings um, i had never met these people and i think i met them once um but then all of a sudden, it was like way different rules. Um, it was it was like a, you're gonna do things my way and very strict Mormon. Um, and my mom completely changed, and she got pregnant right away with my sister, who I adore. Um, and uh, and then we moved across the United States. We were living up in Mia Bay, Washington, way out in the middle of nowhere on a native reservation because. My sister worked for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife. Um, anyway, we ended up moving across the United States, um, all of us in cars, and my mom had just had my baby's parents, so at that point, she was doing And there was just a lot going on where she started to shift. My mom started to kind of adapt this really puritanical view about religion and you know, at, at that point in time, I really loved church because I loved the music in primary. I loved all of those things. It was nice to have community with other kids. Um, but things went dark pretty fast when we moved to Oregon. Not Oregon, I'm sorry, Virginia. Mm. Um, because my mom's thyroid went out. Uh, she had my sister, she, she had a, a high with pregnancy with a little girl and that was the next like really painful thing for me she was in bed she was supposed to stay in bed her cervix was um, really screwed up and like she had a surplage so if she got up she could go into preterm labor and uh, they had us really working hard at um, chores and things like that and if you didn't do it right you would get backhanded yeah um you know, and once again, some of those things that I've been through, I think have taught me a lot of things that are good, but that's never, ever okay. 
So, um, you know, she, she came out of the bedroom one time. I was scrubbing the floor. I was 10 years old. And she was pregnant with my sister. And um, she came up and she goes, what are you doing? And I said, I'm, I'm cleaning the floor, Mom. And she goes, you're not doing it right. And she started to say, you know, she can't do anything right. What? Oh, and my God. she grabbed me. Yeah. And I, so my first feeling is the baby. The baby. Oh, you know, man. Been left and right. Like, you can't be out of bed. You can't be doing this. You need to go back to bed. And I said, Mommy, no, I can do it. I can do it. And she's like, you can't do anything right. She grabbed the rag out of my hand because I was on my hands and knees with the rag. And she said... She started to just like violently clean the floor because she'd get so mad sometimes. And she was just like putting her whole body into it. And she turned around and she had the most painful look on her face. She said, if I lose this baby, it's your fault. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. And she said, because you didn't listen and you can't do this right. Oh. And, um, and I looked at her and I started crying. and said, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. And she said, no. And she did it. And um, she started bleeding and she lost my sister. What? And, um, oh. yeah. And, um, that night, uh, that, the next day, I think was the beginning of probably the pain in my life on, on huge, huge levels because I remember everything being in slow motion and quiet and then all of the, the, the I felt like I had killed my sister. I know that I didn't. Wow. You know, but it was, um, it was absolutely excruciating. And she ended up, um, she ended up being in bed a lot after that. I mean, she just kind of disappeared. And so she'd be in bed for like three days at a time and then get up and rage and be cleaning really violently. And if we didn't wow. clean right, then my stepdad would come in and... and us up and we'd have these long lectures about scriptures and how we weren't good enough and all this stuff and I mean if you want to be if you want to be with your sister her name's Rachel you want to be with her someday then you need to do this and this and this right and you're not oh my god yeah and so I would pray every night that I could see her and that I could tell her I was sorry and you know, um, oh my gosh. Yeah, the thing my mom told me I was making up um, a few months ago was I was talking to her about how I lost my son. And it was the same time uh, along as Rachel was and everything. So it was really, really awful. Um, mm. And I, I told her, you know, I remember sneaking to go see those pictures of her that you guys had taken because I just wanted to see her so badly. She goes, there were no pictures. What? And I'm like, Mom, Mom, there was a box underneath your bed. It was a white box. I used to do it, and I was afraid of telling you that I did it. She said, no, there were no pictures ever. <laughs> and so that sort of thing. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. So yeah. I have to ask, because I know what shame and guilt can do, not only to you on a soul level and spiritually, yeah. energetically, but physically. Like, did you... Develop any chronic illnesses or anything? Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's really interesting that you'd ask that. So I had already um, developed some pretty chronic illnesses before Rachel died. Um, it was around the time she married my stepdad, who 
also, and this is really hard for me to expose all this to you guys, mm. um, because I do fear, you know, I don't ever want to uh, laugh in anybody's names. I'm grateful for having a home growing up. I'm grateful for all those things. However, Absolutely. this is this is the truth. And um, when I was like eight, uh, I started to have a lot of psychosomatic illnesses. Um, I started to have pain in my body. My stomach was really, really, really messed up. Ugh. I started to choke when I ate. Um, like I would just be eating something and all of a sudden my esophagus would explode. Mm, and yeah. around the same time, they took me in for a physical and my doctor said she's been sexually abused. <sighs> and um, she told my mom to, uh, to ask me, you know, if someone had touched me. And, um, and my mom instead took it upon herself to give me an exam. <laughs> oh, yeah. my God. And, uh, yes. And so then, um, oh my God. to make a very long story short, my, my stepfather had been, um, doing things and my grandmother even had called me when I was in my twenties and she said, I'm so sorry. I never stood up for you. Like I... I saw this happen in my home when you guys were visiting. So I just talked to my mom about that, and she's like, oh, she's crazy. She was making that up. Oh, my God. And I'm like, yeah. And so there was not what only, the like, heck? she grabbed me by the hair all the time, and, and that was the big thing, grabbing me by the hair, um, and then uh, tickling me in very inappropriate ways, you know, just all sorts of touching and stuff, and as an adult, I tried to talk to my mother about that as well, and she said, well, you were the only one who was a natural child, so oh. it's okay if, you know, it makes more sense that you'd be attracted to you. I'm like, what? I was, I was a child. Oh, no my there. gosh. She's, yeah. With, yeah. Sick. So, wow. so, yeah, and so my stomach you know, started acting up. I started to have That's interesting. Stuff. That's how mine started. It was gut issues. Uh, yes. Yep. And, and then it always I'm starts in the gut. Now. Yeah, I'm, I'm 44 now and I wasn't diagnosed with my Crohn's and there's this other thing I can't even, I can't even pronounce this <laughs> other disease that I have, but it's, it's in my esophagus and there's too many white blood cells, so it closed and I still say every time I eat, I have to be careful because I choke constantly. That's so um, interesting. Yeah, I, I have to be very careful with diet or my stomach just distends. Yeah. And it and it it's definitely affects my esophagus because it's like starts at like yeah. where my heart is and goes all the way down and I just get, my stomach can get ginormous. It's, it's, it's yeah. crazy. It's so yeah. crazy. It is. It's crazy. And, um, and because of the, all that stomach stuff and the shame and this religious kind of undercurrent of shame as well and all these things that I'm learning and once again I'm a devout Mormon as a child you know right. it, it was everything to me well um, think about this like I even was, on an energetic level like it makes sense for like our throats or you know to be affected too because it's like oh, yeah. we had to keep things secretive quiet. for so long you had to keep quiet absolutely wow absolutely so whenever there's any stress or anything that feels wrong in your esophageal trap, which is really, really triggering to think about, you know, you, you close it. Yeah. And wow. And so it keeps you quiet. I also developed asthma, really bad asthma. So I couldn't breathe 
couldn't, which was understandable. He held me down and, you know, and he tickled me until I couldn't breathe. Ew, that um, sucks. And, yeah, that was part of part of what happened. And Ew. so when I was, like, 11 or 12, my big brother, who I had mentioned before, um, was my mother's child as well. Um, he ended up having a huge psychotic breakdown. And he had started washing his hands until they were bleeding when he was, like, eight. Oh, and he was no. constantly obsessing. He was always, like thinking that he did something sexually inappropriate to me or to my sister or and he was just I mean and he's the nicest mode he's so intelligent and, oh um, Lily and it, he would dance down the hall in school like a ballerina and sit in the middle of senior hall people would kick him in the head and I mean it was <gasps> awful um oh my god because, yeah because he was so severely mentally ill at the time <clears throat> and um and it was because of our upbringing. Um, but when he had that happen, he was put in a psych unit for quite a long time. And there's like two months or something. And then um, very shortly after that, I made my first suicide attempt. Mm-hmm. And um, I was probably 12. Um, oh, and, I, and I was hospitalized. And uh, then I had a roommate who was anorexic. And I picked up all sorts of fun tricks to make myself disappear. And I spent 20 years trying to make myself disappear. Um, Now, did you develop a, you develop, did you develop a um, eating disorder? Absolutely. Mm. And part of it was really easy for me because eating hurt. So can you explain on that? Because... You know, I have a friend, a dear friend that is going through that and um, yeah. she has been bulimic for many, many years, been to like, I don't know, several rehabs. So many. So many. Yeah. And, and yeah. it's sad she can't think of anything like she was bullied, but like, it's interesting. I, I feel like there has to be something that she suppressed, you know, but oh. how, oh, how yeah. did I you, mean... you know, how did you overcome that battle? Because there's... Many people just like her out there and uh, that may be listening to this that are dealing with that too. And like, how did you do oh, it? Yeah. Well, that is a long, long story. But um, I will say that its origin, I believe, is wanting to disappear. Mm. Wanting your feminine attributes somehow on a subconscious level to go away. I would wear big, huge, baggy things. Um, to hide, um, and I just, you know, I would be like, I would be, I became like size zero, and I still looked big to myself. I would still cry and cry, and it got to the point where they had to take me out of school because I was too little, um, and too weak, and the only thing I would do is get up to work out. And I, I did 800 push, or sorry, eight, uh, 800 crunches a day. And then I would get on this little mini trampoline. 800? And on it. Yeah, <laughs> I was obsessed. And for some reason, that was the number. And it was just like, I would make myself do that. And then the rest of the day, I was in bed because I just, that was all I had, you know? And, and oh. I would eat like one apple a day. I ended up hospitalized. And um, so you were anorexic, not bulimic. No, I was severely anorexic, and mm. also it developed into something 
that my counselor called anorexia athletica because then I started running and mm. I would just run and run and run and run and run and then it was like oh I did six miles this day I can do 10 miles tomorrow and then I mean oh there was no great period and I would just push myself and push myself and um honestly the beginning of my healing I think was my children um, because I couldn't I, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that their eyes are what have kept me on this planet. Mm. Like knowing that they, what would happen to them if I left. Even though sometimes our narcissists would creep in and go, okay, they would be better off if you weren't here. They'd be better off with a better mother. You know, this is the sort of things that come into your head when you're hurting. Yeah. And within that dark space, you know, it, there was always, there was no way. So, um, so when I had Gabriel, I think, uh, at that point, um, I ran, uh, seven miles a day till I was six months along with him. I was viciously anorexic when I was pregnant with him. Yeah, I was in trouble. Like, um, and it got, you know, before that I was taking like 20 laxatives a day and, you know, I was really sick. And, um... That I I didn't do that when I was pregnant. That's what I'm saying. Like I stopped right. doing that stuff, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna Got run, it. I'm gonna run, I'm gonna run. And then I passed out um, in the bathroom one time and hit the floor, and I was pregnant with him. And it was like, now the end of this. And um, wow. and it wasn't even the end of it, but it was the beginning of the end right. of the behaviors. And I would. I've, um, another thing that has absolutely been a saving grace for me is yoga. Mm. Yoga has been one of the most important healing factors in my life. It is the one thing that has um, taught me forgiveness um, for the things that I have judged myself for, which meant really just let it go, you know? Yeah. And being in the moment and loving yourself no matter, because yoga has this beautiful thing about it. It's like, every day your body is different and so you know there's hormonal fluctuations there's balance differences there's all sorts of things that are based on our emotions and our surroundings and sleep and all those things and so you learn to really have compassion for yourself yeah and it's a really beautiful journey so that um has been huge and um honestly i didn't overcome suicidal ideation until um got five years ago <laughs> so that's been a big part of my path um and that was because i mentioned earlier i lost the baby um and i losing him was like the catalyst for so many things for me because i've been practicing i've been doing work with clients i've been doing all these things since 2001 but there were always parts of me that I just couldn't feel. I just couldn't get to. And yeah. one of those things was that darkness that, that wanted to take me down. Oh, and, girl, um, I know. I, that resonates. I know what you're talking right? about. Wow. Right? And I do. I, I do want to say real quick, it is what this conversation right here is the epitome of what can truly create a space that starts to turn things around in the world and heal because it is so I can't put into words how difficult it must be to have these and you're speaking with such like poise and with such like 
dignity and confidence about these things that are so difficult that you went through. And there are so many people that have went through less or something similar that couldn't imagine ever talking to anyone about it. They're just there with them in their own heads and they have all this shame and this guilt and they're sick and they're thinking these things and they're feeling trapped. And that's the scary place in the human experience is when the mind goes to a trap. And you, what, and, and it's, and what you're doing right now is actually creating a chance for there to be a little light in their trap. Cause like, wow, this person is saying all this and how the hell is she doing that? Like all of this, like, that's one of the things I took away from Megan and the ayahuasca experience and her talking about her story. It's crazy how similar y'all's path. It's just a whole crazy, similar thing. But man, yeah. it's it's just I just gotta say, I mean, I can't put into words how much as a just as a human I appreciate you being able to say Aww. all of this and put it out there because there are so many people you'll probably never meet that you're truly gonna change the lives of just by speaking well, about this. Thank you. Um Well, you know, I just have to say too, thank you for the opportunity, but also whoever's listening, please hear me from my heart and my soul. It is never impossible to heal. Mm-hmm. It is never too late. I don't care if you're 80. I don't care if, if you're, you know, at any point in your life, if you're involved in an, an abusive relationship, if you're sick, if you're wanting to end your life every day because you have no hope, like, I promise you, I promise you that there is hope, and I promise you that you have angels and guides and ancestors that are surrounding you in an absolute circle of light and love and you're not alone that was the one thing you guys that got me through this Mm. was that when I was a little girl I had that connection to the divine and I always went back to that as my anchor it was always there Mm. and um, it was uh, even in my darkest darkest thoughts I was praying Mm. and I was saying Please stop me. Please help me. Please show me a reason to stay. Mm. And then I'd take a walk or something and there'd be a feather or there would be... Oh, I love that. Song lyrics or something that pops in. Music has also been a huge healer for me. But, I mean, I'm talking about like five years ago when I lost my son. Like I was saying, I was on my bathroom floor for three months in the fetal position. And, you know, this is really, really, really personal, but I'll just share it because of what you just said. And I think people need to know I'm serious. Yeah. I I would, and this is triggering, but I would sit there with a towel around my neck and Mm. stop to breathe. And I would think, just go, just go. And I called, I called suicide hotlines every night because I was in so much pain. My baby had died. My milk had come in. Everybody in my life left away, you know, left me because they didn't know how to talk to me. Um, I literally was by myself and I had two kids. My oldest was going through a lot of struggles. My youngest would go to school. He was, gosh, 13 at the, 14 at the time. Something like that, yeah. No, 15. He was 15. And um, he'd go to school during the day and that was when I would fall apart because mm. I didn't want him to see it. Oh. And, like, before he got home from school, I would shower, and I'd go out, and I'd, like, get ready, and I'd, hi, how are you doing? And then I started self-harming. Mm. 
and I punched myself in the face so hard one day that I gave myself a black eye. And he looked at me and he's like, Mom, what happened to you? I said, I did this. And he said, and he, he put his hands on my face and he looked in my eyes. He goes, beautiful mommy. He goes, no. And I said, I promise you, I will never do it again. And I didn't. And I made, um, I made this, uh, at this point, I'd already made a plan to end my life. And, um, and I was still going to do it. It was going to be my birthday. Um, because I convinced myself that I was so messed up and I had so much damage and so much pain and how could I possibly be good for my kids? I couldn't even get about, you know, up off the bathroom floor. How could I possibly be a good mother? Mm-hmm. And all these voices of all this crap that had been put in my head for so long were, right. were there and <clears throat> and I, I couldn't fight it. I was drowning. And so I made this, I made a plan. I had a friend who was a, a funeral director. I went to him and I said, I, you're the only person I would trust with my body. He goes, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, and um, he had taken care of the cremation of my baby and stuff. And I just cried and cried. And he's like, really? No. And I'm like, you know, everything's okay. I'm just trying to be smart. And, and yeah. I hid it as much as I could. But then, you know, I ended up... Um, I remember around the time that I had made this plan, I I had used to take Benadryl because I, I'm not a drug person at all. I don't even drink alcohol. And I was yep. like, it would knock me out enough to get me through the day, but then I'd have all these really crazy dreams and stuff. And anyway, I ended up um, sitting there and this voice said, get up. And I was like, okay. And it said, get up. You're going to get help. Mm. And um, and I didn't have a car at the time. I spent years walking because it was like really, really important to me. And I sold my car to, to heal on a lot of levels. It was a long story too. But I went and I got on the bus and I hadn't even like put on makeup. And I, I got on the bus and the first thing that happened was there was a woman sitting there with a newborn. And I'm just like, oh my God, no. And I just started sobbing and... I went to a crisis center and I walked in and I hadn't talked to anybody for three months except for my kids. Mm. And, um, and I walked in and there was a person at the front desk um, and she looked at me and she said, what? She said, how can I help you? And I said, my son died and I just dropped. And oh. she said, oh, and she goes, oh, mama. And she goes, come here. And she gave me a big hug. I hadn't been hugged for a while. You know, my partner, it destroyed him too. And we ended up like not being together because of this whole thing but um mm. so I ended up in you know in a crisis center talking to the most wonderful woman named Susan and mm. Susan and Lily are the same names by the way it, it, Susan means Lily oh. um, and, and it was just like this beautiful beautiful experience and um she said no wonder you're where you're at she said, you're, you know, you're hurting so deeply. And it was just like that, being able to talk. Yeah. That's what I want to give my clients space because I'm already feeling all these things from them and picking up on them. And I've spent years and years and years developing skills and all sorts of things. But this, my son Luca, this boy that I lost, he, and that means bringer of life. And I had named him that before I lost him. He 
was and he is my bringer of light because he healed that last wound. Mm-hmm. He, he brought so much, so much um, clarity into the section of me that wanted to end me, that dark thing that was clinging on to me. It was gone because I went through a year of therapy. I started to do yoga religiously, all these things. And I, you know, so part of what I do with my clients is I try to let them know like your biggest wound is probably where your light is. Mm. Um, and that is where you can find connection and hope and healing. And um, I believe in that very, very strongly because on the outside looking in, yeah, I had a lot of issues on a lot of levels naturally from like how I grew up but I was also functioning and I was I was working with people all the time and you know right. all these things. um in art galleries I'm an artist you know all this stuff was going on but nobody knew how bad it was and so yep. back to what you were saying David like to the people out there who are hearing this you are so important hmm. <laughs> I mean even if you feel so alone, like, you know, a lot of times the people that seem to have it together the most or have really amazing gifts, you know, none of us are immune. Mm-mm. None of us. Not at all. Right. Well, hey, on that note, Lily, we're at about minute 57, and uh, they only do 60-minute intervals, so I'm going to pause okay. here. I love that last statement you said. I want to end on that, and then if you're up for it, I'll just uh, start another uh, start another timer and give you a ring right back, if that's cool. Yeah. Uh, but I want to end on that. You said it was a beautiful quote, um, uh, Lily Huffman's quote. Uh, when his, <laughs> it was, in your deepest wound is where you'll find your light. Or something along those lines? Yeah. I mean, Rumi said that originally, okay. something along those lines. Wow, um, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful and it's, it's just yeah. so true. Um, I awesome. Was, the wound is where the light, the wound is where the light enters or something like that, but yeah. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much, Lily. I'm really excited to go. We're going to have our very first part two here. So we'll be publishing both of these two together. So I'm going to hang up with you, and then I will give you a ring right back. And everyone else, uh, stand, stand by for part two. Hey, what's up, everyone? David here again with the Magical Stories of Healing and Spiritual Gifts podcast here with Megan. Hello. And uh, if we are going to part two, episode two of uh, Lily Huffman's story, uh, Reiki Master. And if you haven't listened to part one, stop what you're doing right now. Go back to listen to part one. It was definitely one of our most deep uh, touching episodes. And it's just it's something that everyone really should hear, especially if you're in a if you're in a tough place. Uh, definitely listen to someone who's been through it and really overcome it and come out on top of to, to, for, for so many reasons, but we have Lily back here with us, and now uh, what we're going to talk about now is just kind of some um, modes of healing, like what she's done to heal, some things that have helped her with healing, and kind of bring it up to uh, what where you're at today, what everything you're doing today with your practice and all that. So I guess my first question, Lily, is what have you used to heal? What's helped you in your healing process? Oh my God, anything I could get my hands on. I was hungry for healing from the time I was yeah. a kid. And I mean, I used music without knowing it, um, performing and listening. Um, I used talking to old people 
Um, that was one <laughs> of my awesome. biggest things. I was I was a CNA and an Alzheimer's and hospice caregiver for years. Um, and talking to them helped me feel not alone. Um, oddly enough, I would read accounts of the Holocaust and things like that. People that had overcome enormous odds. Um, they helped me heal. Um, Yama Van Zandt has been a big one. I love her. Debbie Ford, Wayne Dyer, mm. Louise Hay. Um, you mentioned Abraham and Esther Hicks. Oh, yeah. Um, they, you know, they were later on for me as far as learning that I could. I was the architect of my reality. Right. And if I was in unison with the universe and my thoughts, you know, it's all about neuroplasticity. And so... I started to learn. Oh, The Artist's Way was a big one for me, too, by Julia Cameron. Amazing book. Awesome. Um, helps you overcome the shame that you have that holds you back from being creative, which is an essential part of our being. We're all artists of some type. Mm, shame. So shame's a big one. Could you repeat that book again? Because I think a lot of people deal with that. What was that book you said is good for that? The Artist's Way. The Artist's Way. Awesome. Helps, yeah, it helps you to kind of step back into your power to create and be a creative being and you know have joy and all those things um gosh as far as relationships and healing because boy oh boy we could have another five hours about relationships with me yeah. um i've made a lot of mistakes and i've and i've hurt and been hurt um because of my patterns that i've learned and just having to overcome all those things and actually allow myself to receive love and give love in a way that was authentic and yeah. vulnerable. Vulnerability is everything. Oh, yeah. Renee Brown, oh my God, amazing woman. Mm. I mean, I could list all these people, Carolyn Mitz, Thich Nhat Hanh, Prima Chodron, all these amazing teachers and masters who I consider part of my entourage and my, um, my battalion of light warriors that I have with me constantly. Um, I would read notes to myself. I am safe. I am enough. I am powerful. That's awesome. And turn that, turn that stuff around because God, the anxiety and all of the depression is so heavy. You just walk around and you're like, you feel invisible and you feel powerless. And, you know, you give up your power in family relationships or in personal relationships or at work. And, you know, you just lose who you are. And um, so I, I think around the age of, yeah, about 20, 26, I left the Mormon church, um, and there was a lot that fell down around that whole thing that, you know, if we have another podcast another day. Yeah, <laughs> um, for sure. Um, but that was, that was a really big turning point for me because they were everything to me. It was my biggest support system. You know, I was a teacher there. I was a leader at different points. You have callings, and so you do different things, um, I played a lot of music for church. I would accompany choirs and sing myself and do all these things. And it was where I had um, created that of safety because that's what I thought. Um, and when I started to realize it wasn't my kind of net of safety for many reasons, mm-hmm. um, I left. And that, I think, was the beginning of the healing too because it was although that was a long time ago, I mean, that was almost 20 years ago, um, it was an essential part of me finding my intuition again, going back into all of that. And, and it corresponded with my son almost dying and me becoming a Reiki master. 
And so, 2001, I became a Reiki master. I didn't know what the hell I was doing, frankly. (laughs) I love the realism. That's amazing. I love it. I really didn't. I mean, I knew what I was feeling. I felt it, but I still questioned it. Sure. And, you know, I was working. I opened up my um, my Reiki practice. Um, I had an office and everything, and I was doing all these things with clients. And as I was attuned to further... um, levels of Reiki, I started, to, the intuition started to be like, I'd have medical intuition and Ooh. all these things, and of course, you can't diagnose people, but I noticed I could feel in my body where the problem was with somebody, so if I was working on them, I'd go, oh, wow, okay, so you have an injury in your right knee, and they're like, whoa, I'm like, yeah, my knee's on fire right now, you know? Wow. So, it was really, really cool, and things would happen, like, there was this woman who came to me, and she was and so uh, she was very ill. She had cancer, and um, and universe helped me to know that the doctors thought her cancer was in the wrong spot. It was actually not in her stomach. It was in her esophagus. And I said, I'm not a doctor. I mean, I don't claim to know this stuff. Know this stuff, you know? Right. I'm like, I'm not a doctor, but please go in and get a second opinion and have them look at your esophagus. She's still alive. And that's where it was. You know, yeah. Oh. So that stuff just blows my mind. So, you know, all of this stuff, I was healing with my clients. I would have them come in. And the universe does this beautiful thing where if we need to work on something inside of our hearts or inside of our minds or souls, it brings a mirror in the form of another person. And that other person can really piss you off. They can be awful. You know, they can be abusing you even. Um, that's where you learn your power. And that's the tricky thing. You know, you don't put up with abuse ever. Yeah. Under any circumstance. Yeah. 100%. Um, but you learn through all of these things. And people in my life have been like, how can you even sit here? Because, I mean, what I said in the first episode is just like maybe a third. If that, I mean, it's not even, <laughs> it's such a long story. But, <laughs> you know, um, and there's so many layers, and all of us have those layers. Every one of us has our stories and our layers, and it's all relative. Like, just because I've been through such and such amount of trauma doesn't mean that it's any more painful or any more deep than somebody who just maybe, you know, their dog died, and it, it just destroyed their heart, you know? Oh, yeah, trauma and is trauma. Yeah, absolutely, and that's one of the things that's really important, too. So, like, some people will come to me and be like, you know, this is real, isn't really that big deal, you know? And I'm like, uh, how do you feel? Yeah. And it's a huge deal. You are so valid and hurting right now. It's okay, you know? So I learned all those things as I was working with clients. And I think that that was one of the greatest gifts from the universe that I had um, with people mirroring back to me parts of me that I needed to face parts of me that I need to up, parts of me that I need to seek healing for myself. I had many years of therapy, um, many, many, many years of therapy, different types of therapy. I think dialectical behavioral therapy was my saving grace when I was What was that? Dialectical behavioral therapy. What is called CBT. What is oh, that? Oh, CBT. Yep. It's based on mindfulness. Oh. Yeah, and it, I'm telling you guys, like, I, after I lost Luca, I treated 
therapy like my full-time job. I went four days a week to group and individual because I had to because that's, that's I was, it was there. Yeah. <laughs> it was necessary. And I went for a year. And um, it was the most profoundly amazing cathartic experience in my life because it teaches you to get in touch with your needs. Yeah. And then, and then ta- it teaches you how to talk about those things in ways that aren't loaded or projecting or blaming or anything like that because I had learned a lot of really unhealthy patterns and um, I didn't even know I was doing them, you know? Yeah. yeah. It puts you into victim mode and then yeah. pretty soon you hate yourself because you're not living in accordance to who you really are but you don't understand why. Yes. So, you know, all of a sudden there's this light that's shining on these little parts and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, I do push people away. Yeah. And yeah, I can be passive aggressive. And now, and instead of going, oh my God, I'm a horrible human, it's like, oh. And that's because when I was five, this happened and I can attach these things. You know, they can connect the dots and go, oh, okay, inner child, I'm going to put my arms around you and I'm going to repeat you that you don't have to do that. You don't yeah. have to live in survival mode you get to play now oh. you get to be joyful and that you was me forever yeah yeah that yeah. was me forever I was in you know all my lab to show that I was just constantly in like you know that fight, fight or fight. fight mode at all times at all times yeah me too I was I mean until ayahuasca in my yeah relationship my god I up until the last few years of my life I was not capable of having a real relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, and I didn't, is this? And I if this is how. if this is too personal, it's you don't have to answer this. Um, it's something that you know, having abuse. Now, wait, were you? Yeah, yeah, because you were sexually. Yeah. So um, I was also raped at the age of sixteen, and that's something we didn't talk about. But there's a lot of that sexual stuff accompanied with deep sexual shame from particular religion religion I was raised in. Do you have so, issues yeah. with intimacy now as an adult? I still struggle. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It, Absolutely. It is still, yeah. And you know though, um, I have a very loving partner Aww. who's very patient with me who also has his struggles because once again we mirror each other. Right. The, the pressure isn't there. The pressure isn't there. And yeah, so now, I get it. That's so awesome. I'm so happy that you yeah. have that. Oh, thank you. I'm very lucky. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've had our stuff, but boy, I'm very <laughs> lucky. And you know, I've gone through this whole thing of, like, earlier on in life, I was, um, I was overly sexual in a way that wasn't true to who I was. Yeah. Because I was actually always kind of a purist. I was a really naive kid who didn't get that stuff at all. I was really passionate and really, really sensual, like in the terms of like, you know, I'm an artist, I'm a musician, I'm a, I dance. Right. So things matter to me, but I didn't understand all the sexual undercurrents to me. It just repulsed me. Yep. Mm. And then I, and I think that's because the abuse too, but then when I was in my 20s, I started to go the opposite direction and everything mm-hmm. was over-sexualized and I, if I was in a relationship, I was just pretending yeah. um, and playing a role. 
and um but never letting anyone really I mean I don't mean physically when I say this but never really letting anyone in yeah. <laughs> and then and then pushing them away and playing head games with them you know and I mean I there have been some really good guys in my life who I'm very sorry to for <laughs> having to deal with some of my trauma because yeah they didn't you know but but I you know I went through a phase of making apologies to people too and you can't beat yourself up for that no while learning yep absolutely um, but yeah, um, so yeah, going through all that stuff and, and learning. So back to the relationship thing, I was going to say that one of the best books that I can ever, ever encourage anybody to read who is looking into relationship as conscious, spiritual path, is Love and Awakening. And it's by John Wellwood. And um, it really opened my heart and my mind to see, because we have this sort of thing in our in our culture that you know people are very disposable we can just move through and go to the next person and then oh if they look at you wrong then it's they're being abusive you know this sort of a thing mm-hmm. and yes once again there is there is abuse and, and if you're feeling abused absolutely get help 100 percent um but there's also different um things that we learn and and people i think can be very very uh, easy to just walk away, you know, with someone. And yeah. this book really opened my eyes to how that mirror is really a beautiful thing. And when things arise, it's often because we're so deeply connected to someone. Wow. So using conflict, yeah, using conflict as as an opportunity. Using it as, once again, if it's not abusive. But conflict, you know, that edginess that you get and that ongoing fight that you have as a couple and you just keep hitting it and you're like, oh my God, this again, Groundhog Day, you know? Yep, Megan you just leaves the dishes. Uh, whatever, yeah. David. <laughs> <I'm just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> don't um, even. Um, so one, uh, one thing on that note, you're, you're like... <laughs> You're 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 hitting the nail on the head with the so um not to go off topic too much but I lived in New York City for like five or six years and it is the yeah. land of instant gratification like and I grew up yeah. I was born in Oklahoma grew up in Virginia slightly country part yeah. of Virginia I don't know nothing about that I'm like kind of a southern boy and I grew up went up there and yeah. I was like what but it's it's just a whole other world I mean you date for two minutes and then if they yeah. say something wrong it's on to the I mean just it's yeah it's a, it's the we're very much conditioned in the society of instant gratification. The problem with yeah. that is the subconscious programming too. Like, and now you throw yeah. trauma into that also. It's all kinds of things, you know? Oh my God, so, media, media. Oh, oh forget it. We, haven't, uh, we won't even, well, that'll be another podcast. That is definitely another podcast. Absolutely. Oh, I'm all, I'm all about it. I'm, 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 I love ruffling feathers around that topic. So I'm all about it. Oh yeah, it's incredible. I mean, I haven't, I raised my children with no TV. None. None. We well, yep, we none. watched we watched The Office on Netflix and ha- and and yeah. e- extraordinary homes. <laughs> That's about we it. Watched, you guys are gonna laugh, but we watched children's movies. <laughs> um, <laughs> there you go. And we binged on Little House on the Prairie. Um, oh, there you go. David makes fun of me because I like old movies. Yeah. <laughs> and it. a lot of that stuff is really messed up too, frankly. But you know, I know. It, it, yeah, but I love documentaries too. But it's, yeah, it's yeah, I like, I like reality. Yeah, me too. I prefer it. Yeah, you know? and most of what people 
people don't realize too is that everything you put in your mind, everything you put in your body, it's all consumption. Technology. Yes. Oh yeah. 100%. It's all programming. 100%. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, but that's why it's so beautiful because you have to, when you've been through a lot, you have to fight for yourself. You have to find tools. And it's this beautiful opportunity to come in, into contact with your intuition, with your guides, and um, to learn how to listen to yourself. Um, that's been a huge, huge thing. I mean, I was someone who was so insecure. I, I felt. Like, I couldn't even, like, call and order a pizza or something when I was younger because I just felt like my mom would always make fun of my voice. She'd always mock oh. me, and she'd always say my voice. And I'm a singer, too, and so it was always just, like, you Ooh. know. So I was always ashamed of aspects of myself, and I had to unlearn all that. So once again, working with clients, doing yoga. Um, I also went through this phase um, of bodybuilding, and I was working on doing fitness competitions and wow. um that that was a huge part of it for me too in realizing that my body needed food for fuel oh good um and accepting that as you know an eating disorder recovery person that was an essential part too allowing it to build me up and make me feel better instead of it you know feeling like the emptiness felt safer so you mentioned so, tools i gotta ask yeah. i'm i'm uh we talk pretty often um, in regards to psychedelics on this show every now and again, and I know it's a big thing. For, it helps a lot of people. It's definitely not for everyone, but I'm curious if psychedelics right. played a part in your journey. How you know when did those come into play for you? And yeah, tell me about your journey <laughs> experience with psychedelics. Okay, so um, when I, when I was younger, obviously I've, I've said I was raised Mormon. Um, Y'all did, did it all the time also. there, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I did it every morning. Yeah. <laughs> it made the Book of Mormon make perfect sense. No, I'm yeah, kidding. right. Um, <laughs> uh, no, but um, when I was like 18, I drank for the first time, you know, and, and drinking's never been for me. I mean, I'm horrible when I drink because my filters are wide open. I've been the girl at the bar who's like, oh my God, you've been through this. And I just like go for the first time. Oh God, yeah. I'm not kidding. It's, it's not a good idea. Yeah. So, um, um, but with psychedelics, which I don't consider, you know, for me, they are a sacred tool. Yes. Oh, I love that you said that. Yeah, they should not be something that you do. I mean, okay, I shouldn't say should not because everybody's on their own journey and people find what they need to find the way that they find it. For me, I wouldn't use them recreationally. Yeah. Um, because they have the ability to give us so much healing in the right setting. Yep. Um, and so, like, the first time I did mushrooms, I was... And I've only done them a few times. I'm, I'm not trying to sit here going, yeah, like, <laughs> yesterday, <laughs> the time that I did them, the 186 times. <laughs> but the first time that I did them, I was 18. 
And I, I was teaching rock climbing at this rock wall, and these kids came in. They're like, hey, you want to come with us and party? We went and watched Days and Confused. I went <laughs> to the Laser Light Show. Um, and then, I mean, I, I took mushrooms, and it was actually not a good experience at the time um, because I didn't know what I was doing. Oh, no. And it was... I was with a bunch of strangers, and you know, I don't, I don't consider that to be a healthy way to do it. No. Um, same with LSD. You know, I, I did that back then, and um, I was someone who studied the Malay massacre and um, Holocaust, and you know, um, the Khmer Rouge and things like that. So that's where my brain went. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh no. Probably not. Probably not. You know. At that point, developmentally ready. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> um, because I accessed some hellish things, let me tell you. Um, uh, that's but, terrible. So I, yeah, I know, right? So I didn't touch anything like that for a long, long time. Um, and then, oddly enough, uh, I was working in a... Uh, I probably won't say where I was working because... <laughs> The whole point is a customer came in and she said, we had talked many times just in passing. I was a cashier at this grocery store. And she said, you know, I have something for you if you'd like it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and, um, well, she had mushrooms for me. And she had six grams of them. And she handed them to me across my register. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know, she wow. Wow. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, all right, all right, yep, do 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 nothing to see here, you know. I'm like, I'm going to get arrested. This is probably not a good idea. But um, I held on to them for a while because the intent was I was going to do them with my partner. And um, he went away on a trip. Well, and so did I. (laughs) 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 Because, Because the universe said to me, okay, you're dealing with this particular block. You want to go hardcore? You want to go through it? Yep. And I said, "Yep, it's time." Wow. And they're like, "Are you sure?" And I'm like, "Yep." Yep. And I'm... so, you know, I not only consumed some mushrooms, but I did all six grams. Whoa! And heroic dose. That's them. awesome. Yes, yes, sir. <laughs> and it was funny about that is that okay? I was in the middle of a really, really bad Crohn's flare-up for a year, Oof. and I mean. I mean, really, really, really ill. And um, and I was just like, I have to go deeper. I have to understand this, you know, this psychic kind of hold on what's happening in my body. And I, I need to dig in, and I need to go. Yeah. And um, and I didn't realize that I'd done, you know, the heroic, you know, Terrence McKenna. Oh, heroic dose, absolutely. Yep. I had no idea. You actually did like, a you actually did a gram over. You did a gram over what qualifies as it. So yeah. Well, that was the first time I did it. I did it again, mm. like six months later. But yeah, it was. And I'm not a big girl. And um, <laughs> you know, I hadn't done any of that stuff for years. And so, and I don't even drink alcohol. And or you were anything, by yourself. So like, okay. You were yep. by. Woo. And so I I shut off the lights and I got my yoga mat out. I was doing some yoga. And I was laying there, and I just had this most beautiful, profound feeling that I was surrounded by all this light and love. And then all of a sudden, this voice said in my mind, it was probably like, I don't know, an hour into it, okay, it's time to do some mirror work. And I'm Ooh. like, what does this mean? 
and this this you know knowing said to me you know what this means you're going to talk to your ancestors I'm like okay all right here we go and you know I've been in a dark room and you know how when you're having an experience all of a sudden it's like changing a chapter when you turn on a light or something yeah and yeah I went into the bathroom and you know as women well as humans but particularly as women because of societal conditioning you know we're so hard on ourselves and I'm looking in the mirror and I have this enormous well this brings up another thing I want to say to you in a minute but I had this enormous sense of love for myself and I'd only felt that profoundly um like this in another circumstance that I do want to bring up um but I was looking in the mirror and like one side of my face was deteriorating I mean it was decomposing and I was looking at it and I'm like it's okay it's okay it's part of it and then I was looking in my eyes and it was like I could see all my ancestors in that side and things that they've been through and things that you know and I had this enormous sense of forgiveness and pain and all the things like I could feel all these feelings and then this inner knowing told me if you look back into your other's eye like come back over here for a minute and I did and then that side was stable and so it was like my left eye I was looking in for all this knowledge and all this wisdom and all of these clearings and I was like I'd go through this thing and i go okay that one's clear all right this one's clear and it was like this methodical like inner baptism or something wow. and then I'd look over to the other side it was like okay you're safe you can go back if you want to you don't have to and back over and I did that god well, I was listening to the same song over and over again and it was like about three hours of that Wow. and um and it was wonderful I mean I had so much that was the second time actually um but yeah I mean the work that is I, I really think that people should probably have a guide when they're doing stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I had done such an extensive amount of therapy. I mean, I've walked, I've firewalked a bunch of times. I've um, bent rebar with my neck. I've done all kinds of things. Um, you know, therapy, gone to classes for nonviolent communication. I mean, the, the list of the things that I've done to find healing for myself. Um, you know, workshops, I can't even begin. But um, even then, you know, it probably would have been smart for me to have somebody with me. But for whatever reason, this this is what happened. And it was very powerful, and I still access it. And Megan, I think you understand that. It's like an anchor. Oh. You can go back to that feeling, yep. and it's like, yeah. There's something powerful so, and healing to that, absolutely. Yeah, and I feel so like to answer your question, David. I absolutely feel like it is it is absolutely beautiful, sacred, and wonderful, and it, it needs to be respected and in the proper settings for healing. Um, certainly, I'm not judging people if they do it rec- recreationally. Everybody has their path. Right. Um, for me, it's a sacred thing. Oh yeah. Um, and it has to do with going deep. Yeah, absolutely. That was that was one of the, you know, Megan and I have had our experiences, and that was one of the big messages. And it, now it's it's more so when it's actually really rare that we will now, and it's always for clarity, and it's always very sacred. It's always very much yeah. a kind of a ceremonial type thing, and 
Um, and whenever we feel very guided to, it is not like, yes, oh, you you want to do it? <laughs> it's not like that. It's like, oh, I kind of feel. Do you think? And we'll kind of be like, mm, well, yeah, we're like really needing clarity. Clarity. Yep. You know? Yes. Yep. Yes. It's a it's a beautiful. I don't know if it's a facilitator or what. It's like a facilitator to uh, that that divine world, you know. And it's oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It makes us like there's no barrier. Yeah. To it at all, and all of a sudden, there's all these beautiful parts of yourself that you can feel again. Oh and yeah. You can go into, and you can connect on a divine level. That, and you know, it is real. It is a real experience. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's profound and holy, in my opinion. So you. And, um, yeah. So yeah, so I much. Think, yep. I think it's illegal for a reason too. You asked me that question. Yeah, in the I do too. What was your? What was your? What? Why do you think it's illegal? Because um, if if <laughs> because if it weren't, and if um, for instance, other things that I consider to be too, very very healing, if they were more accepted and, and legal, then people would heal. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Oh no my gosh! Thank you. For psychotropic meds and um, for mental restraint. Yeah, one of and what kills me is why are people okay with pharmaceuticals, which are chemicals, and we're talking about plants? And you know what I mean? It's like if you think about it, it's like hello, like with this with common sense. It's like how could you? It blows my mind that people believe that way. One of my uh, what I feel one of. Some kind of foundational part of my purpose, I truly feel. And I, I mean this, I'm not, I want to be clear that I don't think it's for everyone. And I think everyone should, it, it's such a comfort thing. But a huge, huge part of my feel like divinely led to is help bring light to the true potential healing properties of psychedelics and how it could genuinely help yeah. people. It's been so instrumental in my life with my alcohol addiction in my past. <clears throat> it's been so instrumental for Megan. I've seen it help so many people. And yeah, it's a that's a whole other podcast is why I think they're illegal. Absolutely. But um, no, it's I, wonderful. I, it's, yeah. it's definitely you well, know I, they're definitely I personally feel like they're illegal because that's there's there would be no reason to control anyone. Uh, we'd be able to actually yeah. help find our most enlightened self, and we'd be able to act in love. And if you act in love, you don't really need to be controlled. But that's a whole other thing, right. so we won't go down that right. route. Um, Oh God! I could go. I, I talk know, about this crazy. stuff all the time. Oh, will listen. oh, hundred. If they'll listen, if they'll listen, yes. that is the key well, because yeah. Uh, it's so frustrating. It is, but you know, it's also about honoring their past. And yeah. Once again, we are all each other's mirrors. Yep. And we're planting seeds, and you know, I've learned that if someone uh, reacts in that way with me, it's because I need to learn something about myself. Yeah, that. And a lot of times. Yep. Uh, know maybe there's still parts of me that are doubting it too you know and it's just playing out it's like okay well how how convicted you know how much of a conviction not convicted how convicted am i well that's another story no, i've never been convicted you know? <laughs> <laughs> but seriously though it's like how strong is my conviction about this what is my truth yeah and they um okay yeah, yeah. Yeah, they. I, yeah, and you know, there's always that power in planting a seed. That's what I always fall back on too. There's a really interesting uh, meme that was posted in our group the other day that was so cool. It's uh, you see, you ever heard the Mr. Smith meme? Remember, you ever seen the Matrix? Yeah. 
Yes, of course. Oh, it's so cool. It's like the the Matrix is so symbolic and, you know, Mr. Smith pops up whenever the Matrix is threatened in any way, shape or form. Yep. And the and the yep. meme was so cool. It's like, you know, you can be having a normal conversation with someone for two hours and then you bring up anything that is like might be threatening what is actually happening and in the Matrix and then all of a sudden they change. Like they immediately yep. people and it's I have a whole write up on I did a whole write up on it once called the backfire effect. It's an it's it's yeah. cognitive dissonance in an effect where if you speak about anything that goes against someone else's core value, uh, they their brain literally feels like it's being attacked. Yeah. So, and so it puts them into fear mode yep. and trauma. You know, we live in such a trauma culture already and that's a big part of it. Oh is that we're yeah. constantly trying to protect ourselves. Yeah. Instead of be vulnerable and open. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I am careful who I talk to about (laughs) certain things um, out of respect to them as well. Yep. Because I don't ever want them to think that I'm preaching or judging or anything like that when it comes to those things. Because everybody has their their way and their path to coming to their truth and their, their connection to God divine however they want to interpret that so you know that's really important to me to not push myself onto people but I was telling a client that recently too like if we can be an example with our actions and speak our truth but not be pushy you know love people and like I had that situation with my aunt this past week that I posted about in the group um no, it really made me sad, but it wasn't like sad in a victim sort of sense. It was more like I just genuinely want to connect with her, and uh, it made me sad to see her fear of me. Yeah. Because I love her no matter what. I love her, you know, and it, that's how I feel about people. It's like we don't have to be afraid of our differences in religion or anything. Um, you know, our political opinions and things. It's, it's important to have your view. It's important to have your right. your voice, absolutely. And, and it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing that we're different. Exactly. It'd be boring otherwise. <laughs> It'd be boring and we wouldn't learn. And I totally, I think Megan and I both really resonate with your, this situation with your aunt. I mean, me with a lot of my, <clears throat> even backing up a couple of years, my still half my family doesn't talk to me because they heard about the psychedelics, but even the part that does, they're, they're still, they're incredible people, love them to death, but this whole kind of metaphysical world, uh, they yeah. definitely, there's so much fear-based conditioning, they think anything outside yeah. of going to church and practicing in a church, and yeah. <laughs> especially if you talk about the law of attraction, they think it's like the worst thing, and there's all this deceiving, and it's it's just unfortunate because we know how much love and light is in it. And we, we know have and we do have yeah. discernment and we've literally yeah. never been closer to God. And it's brought yeah. like so yeah. much genuine healing. That's the thing at the, at the, at the epitome of it all. Like yeah. if someone's telling me, no, this is bad. I'm like, okay, so you're telling me Megan healing all her trauma, being way happier, yeah. being able to be in a position to help other people. That's all from the devil, huh? Yep. Like, what, really? That's that's what you're telling yeah. me. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. My mom told my ex that I he needed to take my son away because oh. I was practicing practicing witchcraft. Oh gosh, yep, yep. And you know, even if I were, if that were my decision, I like ask questions. You know, yeah. don't you know? Uh, but seriously, though, it was so offensive to me that she was number one saying that I was. You know, working with demonic 
source of energy. Right. When, right. When that's not me. Right. Um, I'm clearly a life worker. That's everything. I have had to battle demons. But, I mean, this is why I'm sharing this. Like, <laughs> I think that people who have had to battle the demons are light workers. Oh, my gosh. Demonic. Yeah. That's so right. That's so right. You hit the nail on the head. That's that's one of the Megan. We were just talking about this. One of the conclusions we came to, and again, this is a no. This, there's no judgment in this statement. But what we found is right. most of the people that disagree strongly with metaphysical world or are so anti psychedelics have never actually dealt with trauma or never dealt with addiction yeah. or never had to face. That's like debilitated them for half their lives. Right. Where they or, or if they have. Or if they have, they're so afraid. Yes. That they're they're so rigid and they're they're living. I mean, their bodies are all tight, and they have disease, and they yep. You know, they they have awful relationships and or yes, living living a very numb existence where it's very predictable and very, which is okay. I mean, let's face it. If that's how they need to deal with their trauma, and that's how they're truly happy, and that that's what they believe. Okay. Right. All right. I love you. Peace be with you. You know, right. that's not my reality. I'm a hardcore person, though. I mean, I dive in and I go, I go all out. You know. It's yeah, freaking heroic dose life. without a guide. That's crazy. <laughs> I did a heroic dose too before, but I definitely had a guide. That's that's <laughs> amazing. <laughs> yeah, and like I said, I did it twice. I mean, Ooh. I knew what I was up for the second time, and I still did it. But um, it was essential for me, and. You know, like I was saying, um, I do want to say, um, when I did that second that second journey and I was looking in my eyes and I saw myself, and even though I looked like I was deteriorating, I looked very, very yucky <laughs> and um, really felt like I just societally, standard-wise, you know, I looked ugly. I looked, I could see all these flaws. I could see all these things. And I loved myself. Mm. It didn't matter. And the only other time I've had that happen is when I was 18 years old. Um, I had gone through being raped. Um, for six months, I couldn't walk after that experience because of, uh, well, my mom has MS. They diagnosed me with MS. They, my neurologist said I was going to be in a wheelchair. I had, um, you know, I had progressive MS, according to him. And I was a runner. I was, you know, all these things. And it really, really, really freaked me out. And my dad's going, well, no one's going to ever want to see you perform because I was also a musician. No one's going to want to come and see you perform if you're in a wheelchair. You know, you need to do something that's safe. You need to do this. Well, I took 52 phenobarbital and said, fuck this. I'm done. Um, and excuse me for the long, you know, the, the strong language. No, seriously, that's go for it. Was. And I was like, you know, um... I want out. I can't be here anymore. I can't do this. Because if my body is broken too, like, I just, I, I can't do it if I don't, if I can't do my music. And so, that was another thing, and I just, right now, drew this parallel. I looked myself in the eyes when I was overdosing. And I said really awful things to myself. And, um, and I took all 52 of them, and they had to work on my body. I mean, I was standing across the room looking at my body on a stretcher. And Wow. Um, uh, yeah, and a few months before, well, let's see. Yeah, a couple months before that, this is June 22nd, 1994, um, Kurt Cobain had killed himself. 
and um, I was very strongly connected to the grunge movement and um, very important music for me at that point. And I sold my car stereo to get a tattoo. Um, <laughs> wow, nice. Love of music in Chinese, and it's it's like in a more private area, it's like in my hip area. Um, so you know, I wouldn't have seen it otherwise. But they had in the process of trying to resuscitate me, taking my clothes off and stuff. I was in intensive care, and I saw it, and that's what made me go back into my body. And I, I looked at myself, and I went, "Oh my God, that poor girl." Um, I have like she's so beautiful. What happened? And mm. not beautiful, you know. Like, so did you know that you were dying? Like did you know that you um, were like? You know, it was such a quick sort of a because when I had overdosed, my stepdad drove me to the hospital, and it was like an hour drive, and he was in shock. My mom told me she hung up on me on the phone, and she said, "Go wake up your dad, and you know, fix this yourself." Because that's a, that's a whole other long story. And then she came in and told me I was selfish. And the next time I did it, to make sure I succeeded. What? And, oh, my god. And I'm gosh. hearing this, too, because a lot of my clients are a member of the group. And um, I work with a lot of people who um, who have lost loved ones to suicide. Mm. And that is why I think I get to do that, you guys, because I've been there. And I get to reassure you that I had nothing to do with you. Mm. Um, so, you know, I was looking at myself, though, and uh, during the time that my dad had driven me, I passed out really fast in the car, and he drove me all the way, like an hour drive. And um, they popped my stomach, and of course it was too late, and uh, got me up into intensive care, and I could feel all the things that were happening. I could see everything in the room. I was, like, totally... But I could tell that I wasn't really seeing it. My eyes were shut, you know? Um, so it was a really, really weird experience. And it was also, I was highly drugged. I mean, that was probably part of it. But um, because being a barbershop, I was told later if I took like seven, I was probably going to be in serious trouble. I took 52 and 10 oh. diet pills. So, oh, jeez. Um, yeah, and so I was standing across the room. And... Uh, I knew at that point, I mean, that was my whole point. The tattoo told me that was me. And it was interesting because it says love of music. And it all of a sudden, I took this really deep breath. And I was like, Ugh! and um, it was painful. And the doctor was in my face. And he goes, there you are, kiddo. We lost you for a minute. And um, apparently, I went into respiratory arrest like three times that night. And they called my parents in and... I mean, I was gone. Um, but I had the opportunity to stay. And even though I had all that hell, I always look back at that. So like this mushroom experience ties me back into that feeling of, of uh, remembering myself mm. and choosing, choosing this. That's wow. just, you know, um, pretty powerful stuff when you think about it. You know, like I said, our wound is the place where the light enters. That's, like I said, that's roomy. It says that. That's and, beautiful. Um, yeah, and it's true. It's true. And that's why we need to provide space for each other to talk about these wounds and to be open and um, vulnerable and and have space to heal and not try to conceal it and hide it 
be these perfect little people that are running around with our perfect little houses right. and dogs right. and cars and, you know, 1.5 children and, you know, the right kind of dog and the right kind of family get-togethers. None of that's real. None right. Of that's real. <laughs> right. Well, in suppressing so, it, all it does is make you more sick. Yeah. I mean, it's okay if elements of that are real. It's okay. Like, that, that was the trick, Megan, for me, and in going into, like, the law of attraction thing. Mm-hmm. Because I had convinced myself that all of that was so, so, so much an illusion. <laughs> yeah. that, that I was like, okay, I don't want anything. I don't want anything. And I'm not going to be with anybody that has anything, you know, and, and I don't, it's okay. I'm going to thrift store shop. And, and I do that still because I care about the environment and because there's way too much waste. But back then it was more like, if I want a nice car or if I want, you know, to have nice clothing or to present myself in a certain way, it's because I'm trying to buy out or sell out, you know, yeah. um, because I learned that that was all an illusion. Hmm. Um, but it's not true either. I mean, there's a balance and we deserve to be happy. We deserve to enjoy this world and this life. Um, but with responsibility and vulnerability and being able to connect, you know? That's awesome. It's all a beautiful thing. Yeah, I don't know if absolutely. any of that just makes sense. You know what I mean, though? Yeah, no, Absolutely. That's awesome. Well, Lily, t- talk to us about where you're at now. What are you doing? I mean, you've overcome so much. I mean, you've shared so much with us. You talked about how, you know, different modalities that you've used to heal. Yeah. And now you're rocking your own practice. Is that right? I am. And I, you know, I've been doing this, like I said, for 20 years. But um, this year I have been working while doing this stuff part-time as well. And on the side, I've been working, you know, a very responsible job. <laughs> Yeah. All that stuff. And I, my body started saying, no, no, yep. we're not doing this anymore. Yep. And I was like, oh my God. It's no. time for your purpose, whether you like yeah. it or not, whether you think you're ready or not. <laughs> yep. We're kicking you off the diamond board, baby. Yeah. <laughs> that, that happened. I quit that job. I have a very supportive partner who, who said, you know, you do what you need to do. What do you need to do? Really? What do you need to do to create your practice? And I said, all right, I need this, 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 and this. He goes, okay, we're doing it. And he he did it with me. Aww. He said, don't pressure yourself to work that job. He goes, it's killing you, and it's not you. And so I got out. And then I tried another one of those jobs for a minute because I stepped back into the fear. And that was even worse. And the universe is like, hey, idiot, are you listening to me? <laughs> and I'm like, all right, all right. And my partner, Luis, is like, yeah. Okay, so I don't want you there. I don't want you doing this for you. He goes, if you want to stay there, you can, of course, you know. But from my perspective, it's your time. That's awesome. And I said, okay. Mm-hmm. Well. And, and, yeah, and I stepped back and I was like, all right, here we go. That's and I, said, I'm on I love I him. Said, I do too. <laughs> <laughs> I set up my Facebook page um, in September for... Uh, for my practice and I went to favorite um, metaphysical shops that I've gone to um, for years and I said I and I've known you know people that own like one in particular the person who owns the place and I said I'm ready she's like I've been waiting you know for you to be ready (laughs) and I'm like okay and so then I started to do sessions there and then I was like no it's got to be even more 
and there's this wonderful shop in Portland called New Renaissance, and everybody's like, well, they have a waiting list, and there's like 65 people on it, and it takes a long time for you to work into the system. I said, I'm supposed to be there, I'm supposed to be there. Reach out to them on Facebook, and they're like, okay, if you really feel strongly about this, then write this person. I wrote that person, and uh, he, I went and did a session for him, and there's a bunch of beautiful synchronicities with all of that experience as well. Um, amazing, amazing, amazing um, experience there that I'm not going to share because it's private, but um, it, he's like, yeah, okay. That and is so awesome. That's, that's, yeah, and one of the most beautiful things for me too is listening to my intuition and posting things that I feel inspired to post. And a lot of times, you know, Wayne Dyer talks about that three o'clock in the morning thing. Um, and Rumi did too about having that inspiration and the veil being thin and that's when it comes in like okay I'll wake up and I'm like this is what I'm supposed to do boom it just comes out and I post it to different groups and what I love seeing even more so than being in a local shop is working with people on the phone who I've never met and seeing how the universe just literally moves us out of our our own ways so that we can become like I said before an instrument and a vessel. That's awesome. And yeah, it's so beautiful. Like, I am so humbled by the whole process. So, in order to be able to do all of that, because it's it's intense. I mean, I'm not working with people that are going, should I date this guy? I mean, sometimes I get that, you know, but more, <laughs> I'm working with people in deep grief and yeah. deep trauma and helping them... Um, work through it in an energetic way, release it, cut cord. Um, you know, like I said, I've worked with a tremendous amount of people. I'd say 98% of my clientele have had a suicide in their family that's very close to them or the death wow, of a child. Gosh. Yeah, um, that has been a deeply humbling and very sacred space for me to be able to be in with people because I don't take it lightly and I love people for their willingness to heal and um, have developed some very beautiful friendships because of it. Um, and so that kind of work, and so in order to do that kind of work, at first I was like, I'm going balls out. Like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> blah, 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 and you know, client, 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 client. And because when you open that door, so many of us need this, you know? And it was just a lot of people and um, I'm learning how to, and Luis is very good at this, he, he keeps me grounded, he's like, okay, I think you need to structure it a little more, because I'd be like sitting, I just did this recently, you know, I'll talk to people one o'clock in the morning, I, I sit, um, and I'm able to hold space if they're suicidal and things like that, um, and I have been trained for um, women's shelters, and, and also was working on being trained on a suicide hotline as a, as a support person. So, oh, nice. Um, yeah, so there's that kind of stuff too. And um, and I always, always, always say, you know, you've got to go and possibly have some therapy. And I'm not, you know, oh, yeah. I have someone in crisis. Yeah, no, I, it's... I'm a big resource person. So I'll yep. be like, this is a good resource. This is a good resource. Hey, you know. Um, that's that's good. That's good that... Out. That's good that you yeah, no, And the work that you're doing is just so amazing. So I wanted, before we wrap up today, though, I wanted to give you the chance for sure to you know, how do people reach out to you? If someone wants to 
book a session with you, then how is how is the best way for them to, to do that? Okay, so thank you for that, number one. Um, number two, so I'm obviously in group with a lot of you, just amazing, amazing, amazing people who mm-hmm. I'm learning from and, and just loving every single day. There's so much good there. And um, David and Megan, thank you so much for providing that space. Um, so I post a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we love it. Yes, we love your posts. You guys are so gracious with me. Um, And uh, so you can go on my Facebook, uh, and it's Lily Huffman, Intuitive Guide and Reiki Master. Um, And feel free to message me. Um, I offer sessions. Um, I am someone who I believe very strongly in an energetic exchange. So, um, you know, I have prices set that I don't turn people away. So please don't, unless it's somebody that I know is just like not wanting to pay for something. <laughs> um, I can feel the difference. Yeah. And I will work with you if you need um, support. I just want people to hear that, that, um, that there is, you know, a sliding scale and um, that I'm open. That's so awesome. Yeah. That, yeah. That's amazing. And you can work with anyone. It doesn't matter the distance or anything, correct? Oh, yeah. I mean, I I have recently in the last week, I've had, like, people write me all the time, and I'll give them kind of mini sessions. Um, and I've done a lot of work with people overseas just via Messenger. I've never even seen these people. Nice. Um, I'm also, I've worked with people on the phone from Australia, South Africa, England, Ireland, um, Mexico, Germany, all kinds of different places, um, and and it's India, and it just keeps opening and opening, and um, I'm so grateful for that. That's awesome. There really is no separation. We're all one. Yeah. And absolutely and she definitely has our recommendation we did a call Uh, with her yeah she's amazing now lily are you just right now at the moment are you just um are you doing readings only or you do do you practice reiki as well or is that something that you just are doing like on yourself i always incorporate reiki into a session i'm always like when i'm working with someone sending them energy since they've come to me there's that um that openness about it, you know, okay. I always ask permission. I always, always ask permission. Um, and since they've come to me, I feel like I can do that. Um, I don't do Reiki sessions, generally speaking. I'll do it, like, with my partner or my children or my dog. Um, <laughs> Love or, it. Or friends that, um, and myself a lot. But, you know, I think my path is more doing, one of my clients called it, um, energetic therapy and I'm not a therapist I'm not trained as a therapist but I've had 20 years I've had another person say you've got a doctorate degree in this anyway yeah (laughs) you know um spiritually anyway um you know but I can't call myself a therapist or a counselor um I certainly believe in those people as well professions and um but you're very gifted though you're very gifted We are so thankful to have you. Yes, and I end every episode with one question for you. Okay. If you could leave the world with one message, what would that be? Okay. And I say this to clients a lot too. Um, You are so 
important. You are so precious. You are irreplaceable. You have gifts to bring this planet that only you have. From your experiences, your heart, Hmm. your divine origin, and you are never too old to heal. You Hmm. are never too lost to heal. You are never too addicted to heal, and you are never too sick to heal. Beautiful. And the universe, the universe will support you, absolutely, mm. and you are surrounded by angels and guides. That's amazing. Thank you so, so, so much. I feel like this is definitely not going to be our last podcast. There are so yeah. many things we could have hit on. Um, but thank you so much for coming on. Uh, you are such a blessing to so many. And we're, you just created such an incredible space for so many people to hear and know there's such hope. such an inspiration. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Aww. We appreciate you. And thank you, you guys. Have a, you. have a good rest of your weekend, Lily. Thanks for everything. Yeah, thank you. Happy healing. Happy healing. Yeah, you guys too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.